I'm so glad to see all of you. Happy 4th of July. Of course, I'll say that again next week because it's right in the middle of the week and you never know if people are taking the first part of the week or the second part of the week off. And so I know a lot of people are traveling, but you're here and that's what I'm happy for. Um, when we started Thrive Church a couple years ago, uh, one of the things that we talked a lot about was church health. Just trying to be a healthy church. Um, and... Uh, there's a lot of ways to think about that idea of a healthy church. But fundamentally speaking, our idea is that healthy things grow. Does that make sense? I mean, healthy things kind of grow. Some of you know that I've been uh, working on a garden uh, at my house. And uh, one of the things that I spend a lot of time thinking about is, is this actual soil. Because if I have healthy soil, then I'm going to have plants that grow healthy. At least that's the theory, and since this is the first year, I'll let you know how it works out, okay? So, um, but this, the notion here that I think that, we, that we're trying to, to constantly keep as a staff and as leadership in our mind is how, how do we make sure that we're a healthy, a healthy church? And um, you have to be careful because sometimes an organization particularly can grow too fast and not have enough support to, to uh, keep it going, or it can grow too slow and it never really gains the traction that it needs. And so you always run into the atrophy that occurs with inactivity. And so we try to take it really seriously and, and to get in front, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> get in front of, of church health. And, and we, we recognize that health um, includes our volunteers. And, and like the video said, we can't do this without you. Now, I recognize, too, that as I'm saying those words, some of you are going, I already volunteer, and, you know, waiter, waitress, check, please, and I'm going to check out. And what I'm just going to ask you to do is to hang, hang on, stick with me for a little while, because there's a couple of things I want to point out to you um, that hopefully will give you some insight. At least, I hope that's one of the reasons why you come here every Sunday is that you get some insight into the text a little bit and that it helps your, your faith grow a little bit more because growth isn't just about numbers, it's about what happens inside of us. And so stick with me um, as we kind of walk through this idea. And there's a lot of metaphors for church that we find in the scriptures. Um, but the one that I think is used most extensively or written about most extensively is simply this one. It's the body. When we talk about the body, we're often talking about the church. And I think this is really a helpful way to understand it because all of us have bodies. It's a little easier to understand about this. And in the, uh, in the New Testament, one of the writers, a man named Paul, uses the illustration uh, quite liberally in two books in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and ironically in Romans chapter 12. He talks extensively or writes extensively about the Bible. So there's this um, uh, church that's gathered in a, in a Greek city called Corinth and there's another church in the Greek city of Rome or Italian city of Rome, I guess, um, that um, um, there's groups of Christians and as Paul is going around setting up churches, he's writing letters back to them, correcting them, guiding them, encouraging them, and in the midst of these two letters, he keeps returning to this idea of, of the body. And so I want to walk through this and gain a little bit of, of insight. And so um, in this, um, this first city of Corinth, 
is when we, we really first see this theme um, come up. And, and there's a little context here that I think is important because as he's writing this letter um, of both correction and encouragement to this group of Christians that are gathered in this pivotal city, he's talking about how God gives gifts to individuals. And when we talk about gifts, it's kind of this notion of supernatural empowerment for the church to actually be the church. And I want to I hit the pause button on this just, just for a second and kind of explain some things. We're talking about the spiritual gifts. And depending on what tradition you come from, um, you may have some different ideas about spiritual giftedness. And I just kind of want to tell you where, where we stand on it. And uh, as a church, as Thrive Church, where, where we come down on this is we are open, but we are cautious when it comes to spiritual gifts. Um, there are whole traditions of churches. They're typically called Pentecostal churches, and they emphasize the spiritual giftedness of the church. Uh, those who are not necessarily in that tradition are called charismatic if they exercise the gifts. So we have a friend. Uh, his name is uh, Matt Nelson. He pastors a great little church up in Brookside um, called uh, City Church. And uh, that comes out of the Assemblies of God, which is a Pentecostal church, but he will tell you they are Pentecostals with seatbelts, right? So the way we describe it here at Thrive Church is we are charismatic, but with five-point harnesses <laughs> and probably airbags, okay? Just, just so that, that you understand. We are open to the fact that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still available for the church today, but we're very cautious about their use. We do not want to confuse the gifts with the giver. Does that make sense? The emphasis is always on the giver of the gifts, not on the gift itself. And so that's why I always say that we're open, but we're quite cautious about it. And as a staff, we want to be a thoughtful church. And so we want to think very deeply about those things. But this is the context in which um, Paul is writing to this church. He's talking about how People are supernaturally gifted in order to serve their brothers and sisters inside of the church. And when he does this, he uses the, this metaphor, this illustration of the body. And I want to pick this up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have a Bible app or if you've got a, 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 a Bible with you, by all means, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 is where we're going to be today. And I want you to see this. I want you to track this with me. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm just getting over this cold. I, like, lost my voice earlier this week. Totally sounded like Barry White, which was really cool. Um, and then now I'm, like, in puberty all over again. So hang with me here if it cracks. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to giggle. I've got a microphone. So anyway, so here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, beginning with verse 12. Paul writes this, For just as the body is one... And has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and in another book he even mentions male and female, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now we understand this. Um, we understand this because we have body, bodies. And this is helpful because it's very concrete. And the parts of the body affect the whole. So, <clears throat> excuse me, as I was saying, I was doing some uh, yard work, um, building this garden, 
And uh, in our front yard, we had a tree that died. And so some guy came along one day and said, I'll cut that, down, that tree down for like 100 bucks or something. And Lisa called me, is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, we need to get the dead tree out of the, the yard. But the guy said, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to cut it low enough so that you can run your lawnmower over the tree stump and not grind it. Well, that didn't happen. And I know this because I ran my lawnmower over it and it made a screeching sound and it wasn't very good. So what did I do? Well, I have these boulders. I have these boulders that I was moving like this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They were like this. And uh, I decided to cover up the stump with boulders. So I have this nice little rock feature in my garden now, but you wouldn't know that there's a stump, although you do now because I've just told you. But as I'm moving this stump, this has a point, trust me, but as I'm moving these boulders over the stump, I jammed my thumb. Now, I didn't crush it, you know, it didn't like, you know, but I just kind of jammed my thumb a little bit. I mean, really poked it. Have you ever done this? I saw stars, which is totally weird, right? when that happens to you. And for like the next week and a half, I, I, I couldn't use my thumb. I couldn't like hold on to anything. And uh, all of a sudden it would just start kind of throbbing for no reason. It never, it never bruised up or anything like that. But I had limited capacity in my thumb. Now, look, look at me. The thumb is this much of my total body and yet I felt like I was completely incapable of doing anything because I didn't have my opposable thumb. You know what I'm talking about, right? So while there's one part, it affects the whole. Can I get an amen? amen. Have you ever um, stubbed your toe, right? Especially your pinky toe, which is the worst, right? And, you, and you're walking and you're limping, and it's just one of those things where you're, you're kind of like, how is it that something so small affects the whole body? See, you all are laughing because you've all been there, right? So when Paul starts talking about this idea of the body, we totally, totally get this. Um, the whole body is affected by even the smallest thing. And Paul begins to echo this in Romans chapter 12. He says, for as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, because my thumb is not the same thing as the rest of my body, right? Nor is your pinky toe. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And so I think what we need to suggest here is that diversity is essential. It is not just a nice thing to have. Diversity is an essential thing that we have because the bottom line is we need each other. There is no place in Scripture, contrary to kind of standard American pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps thinking, there is nothing in Scripture that says that you have to do this alone. In fact, it seems almost sinful to try to do it on, on your own. You can't. And let's just be honest about that. Now, that doesn't mean you don't pull your own weight. It doesn't mean that you don't try. It doesn't mean that you, you know, give up any sort of responsibility for something. But the bottom line is we are made for one another. We need those kinds of gifts and talents that we all bring to the table, whether it's to a church or whether it's to a family or whether it's to an organization. And Paul is a practical man. And I think this is important because 
In 1 Corinthians 12, after he kind of makes this statement about the body, he describes two very significant threats to the body. Now, you can call them viruses, you can call them infections, whatever it happens to be, but they threaten the body, specifically the body of Christ. And I think we need to talk about this because I see this over and over again. Um, you know, I've been doing this for a while, and it doesn't matter what organization I'm in, I, I see this happening. And I think we have to identify them so that we can catch it not only in other people, but also in ourselves. And so let's pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 15 and then jumping to 18. And I love this. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. So picking up with this idea, the illustration of the foot, if we were all just feet walking around, that would be really weird. Right? So we have this diversity within our bodies um, in order to actually accomplish something. And each part of the body has a particular function. But what he's describing here is if the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, this is quitting. Right? This is saying, I'm not part of the body because I am not that. Do you understand that? Does this, is this beginning to make sense? <coughs> And quitting is something that happens, and I see this all the time in the church, when we begin to compare ourselves to other people. Or worse yet, when we begin to have competition with other people. It's even worse. I'm not good enough. I'm not as gifted as. I'm not qualified. I'm not experienced. And I've heard this, and maybe you have too. Maybe you've even said it to yourself. And, and that's doesn't make you any less part of the body, not according to what Paul is writing to us. Now, I'm going to be honest, completely transparent. I struggle with this too. And let me give you a good example of this. There are some people in this church who know how to pray. They just know how to pray. And you know who they are. You know exactly who they are. And I sit there and I'm, sometimes I follow them after, after they pray because um, they, they're up here. And I follow them and I'm like, man, why am I even preaching? That prayer just preached the whole message. I just go home now and go take a nap or something. I don't pray like that. I don't. I'm not wired that way. I, there's just some people, they just know how to pray. And I think they've got the... the they've, it's, like, it's, like, it's like the chief... Um, uh, uh, the chief of police in Gotham City who's got the bat phone. They've got like the red phone right to God. You know the people that I'm talking about? And they're willing to, to pray for just about anybody or anything. And you sit there and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't pray like that. I can't. It's not that I don't try. I just can't. But here's the important thing to remember. Even though I don't pray like that, that does not diminish my other giftedness to the church. Right? Does that make sense? That doesn't diminish any of that. And furthermore, furthermore, it does not absolve me from praying. There are some times where as a senior leader of a church, you just need to pray. 
You need to lead that prayer. Even though I'm not as gifted as that, that is still part of my job description that I have to pray. And if you don't feel like you um, can pray like some other folks, but you're the only one in the room who can pray, God says, cool, I can work with that. And we can't forget the fact that God works through our human effort regardless of how gifted we are because of the circumstances we might be in. You with me? So just because your level may not be level 75, you might be level 15, that doesn't absolve you from the responsibility of actually doing what God is asking you to do in those circumstances. Everybody can pray, and it may not sound like anybody else, but that's okay. God still hears. And I'm just using prayer as an example. So just because you don't have the gift of prayer does not mean that you are any less part of the body of Christ. Are you with me? This is important because I see this all the time. People just think that, well, because I'm not like that, I might as well just kind of give up. Really? You're going to quit on that? Come on. Don't do that. The body needs all of the gifts, and what's more is the body needs whatever you have to give. You are part of the body. You are part of the body. If you didn't get that, you're part of the body, okay? I'm just going to declare that. And you can argue with me later, and you will lose. So, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I have certain gifts that... No, anyway, moving on. Okay, next one. Here's the other threat. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand... Hand got picked on in this one. Did you notice? <clears throat> the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Really? <laughs> I want you to think about that one, right? But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. Now, can you survive without a hand? Yes. Can you survive without an eye? Yes, of course you can. But that's not how it was intended to be, right? And so the eye cannot say, uh, I have no need of you. Um, well, have you ever gotten something caught in your eye, like a speck of dust? How many of you are really glad you have a hand right about then? Yeah. And this, I think, is an important piece of the puzzle as well, is because this is the threat, not of quitting, but of the, of the opposite. It's the threat of exclusion. We're excluding people based on um, perceived giftedness, maybe perceived capacity, not sure. But it doesn't happen when we compare ourselves to one another. This is happen, happens when we lose love. When we lose love of other people. And, and I've heard it this way. I've said it this way, confessing, but... I love them to death, but... Have you ever used that phrase? It happens. Oh, I love that person to death, but... Fill in the blank. It's when we lose love. People have value. From the most fundamental standpoint that they're made in the image of God. And they bear the imprint of divine. They have value to God and they have value to us and at the same time 
People are messy. Did you notice that? Oh, and by the way, you're messy too. Every single person here has a little bit of mess and a little bit of foolishness. We all do. But that's why God gave us grace. Grace, ultimately grace. Grace is never a one and done sort of thing. Grace is continual. And so the question really is, how might we love this person through their mess? How might we love them through their foolishness? How might we do that? And by the way, you're never going to get it right the first time. You might not even get it right the second time. And sometimes you may need to explain some truth to some people, but we always do it in love. Do you ever notice people who quote that scripture about truth and love are always emphasizing the truth part, not the love part? Do you ever notice that? But it really is about truth in love. We always need that part of love. Grace is the thing that gets us over the mess. Grace is what keeps us from being the eye telling the hand we have no need of them. That's the antidote. But there's something else here about, about grace, about quitting. The other thing that I think that we forget sometimes, we need to give grace to ourselves. I think the hardest person to forgive is always me. You ever feel that way? But when you give yourself grace... What you're ultimately saying is, I'm not perfect, but I'm growing and I'm learning. Giving yourself grace may be the hardest thing that you do and maybe the single thing that will help you the most. I know it's the one thing that I continually return to. I'm so willing to give grace to another person, why wouldn't I give myself grace? Have you ever heard how you talk to yourself? Sometimes um, I listen to people... Um, may have made a mistake, and they're kind of talking to themselves. I'm like, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm, that was really dumb. I can't believe it. And I have to look at them and go, you're talking about my friend. If you were anybody else, I'd punch him in the nose. Don't talk about my friend that way. Right? Give grace to yourself, because you deserve it too. And Jesus didn't die on the cross just for everyone else. He died on the cross for you. So keep that in mind. Give grace to yourself. I think we need to do a little bit more of that. So here's where Paul finishes. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And he echoes this in Romans 12. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. It's the same kind of thing. Is each person has individually these gifts that they bring to the table, but they're still part of the same whole. We understand this, right? Now, in our house, we have uh, something that I'm sure you don't have in your house, and that's dirty dishes. Y'all are laughing. How come, right? And we've had this conversation about um, our house and dirty dishes. And here's the thing. Nobody likes cleaning dishes. 
Now, be honest, because you're in church. You don't like doing dishes either. I know you don't, right? Nobody likes doing these. But there are certain things that we do because we're part of a family. One of which is dirty dishes. Somebody's got to clean them. Somebody's got to dry them. Somebody's got to put them away. And uh, in our house, that means a little extra work because our dishwasher just went out. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. But we do these things because we're part of a family. And so when we read these passages in 1 Corinthians and 12, there's this underlying expectation, though, especially in, in these two letters, that we serve Jesus when we serve the body, when, when we actually participate in the world. Everybody has some type of gift to give. Everyone has a role, and that role may be formal, it may be informal, it may be paid, it may be unpaid. But the point is everyone has a role. And I want you to understand this. If you don't leave here with anything else, I want you to understand this. There is no way that you're here by accident. There is something that you have to contribute to the body that, that God has gifted you that we need. You're here for a purpose and a, and a reason, and we're very grateful for that. And so please do not rob the body of your function. We need you. We need you. We need everyone. When we started, um, started Thrive, we had a couple of core values in mind. I just want to share a couple of them with you. And we knew that we were going to develop these as we went along. <coughs> Excuse me. The first one is we thrive when we follow Jesus. That's a core value. When we're talking about Thrive Church. It really is about trying to follow Jesus. Does it mean we get it right every time? No, of course not. But this is what we're after trying to follow Jesus in just our own personal conduct and also the conduct as an organization. The other core value you hear almost every Sunday. We thrive only when others thrive too. We believe that, that Jesus didn't come just for us, you know, me and my personal Jesus, but rather that we are here to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus in the rest of the world. So we thrive only when others thrive too. And finally, and the one that we're going to focus on today is we thrive best together. We don't thrive alone. We thrive best together. We need each other. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want you to understand this. I refuse to bludgeon you with the Bible and with guilt. Not going to do it. I don't think it's effective. I think it's kind of ridiculous. It's not my intent. But what I really want to show you simply is God's idea for his church and for you specifically. And so if you're not actively serving in some capacity right now, what we're doing is we're asking everybody to commit one weekend a month. It's kind of like the National Guard. You know, you go and you go on maneuvers, for those of you who know what that is. <laughs> what we're trying to accomplish with our, our Sunday morning is to have people who are committing to one Sunday a month in a volunteer capacity so that we can run a rotation. Because rotation is healthy. Nobody gets burned out. I really don't like to talk to people when they come to say, I'm feeling burned out. I'm like, oh boy. That's the last thing we want to do. I don't think that's healthy. I think that health happens when we're all contributing in a particular way. Rotations keep us healthy. healthy. So if you'll notice on your chair, there's a little card. It says volunteerism on it. 
And on Sunday mornings, now I recognize that there are other ministries besides Sunday mornings, okay? But on Sunday mornings, so there are basically three areas that you can be involved in. One is kids. It's back there. The other is everything that happens from the front door to you know, the food area. That's what we call first impressions and hospitality. And finally, worship arts, which is all the technical stuff that happens back there and all of the fun stuff that happens up here too, okay? So there are different places where you can, you can be involved. And so what this little card is, this is not committing you to anything. I want you to understand that, okay? This just starts a conversation. This just says, hey, I'm willing to maybe commit one week in a month to this ministry area. Can I talk to somebody about it? Because then you can get a little more detail because I'm not going to have you blindly say, yes, I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. No, mm-mm. The uh, light at the end of the tunnel is not an oncoming train. Light at the end of the tunnel means that there's a, there's a length of time to this, depending on the ministry area. It might be three months, it might be six months. But the point is, is that one weekend a month. So you're either committing to three times or six times. Are you understanding what I'm saying here? The point is that it starts a conversation with a particular ministry area that you think that you can be involved in. And I think that this is, is an important, important thing. Not only does this um, rotation idea keep us healthy, it also keep us, keeps us engaged. I'll tell you a quick story. When we first moved to Cedar Ridge Elementary School here, uh, they gave us the option of coming in on Friday nights to set up. And um, uh, up until that time, Sunday morning was our setup, and then obviously we tore down afterwards, but... Um, so for like two Fridays, it was basically just a few of us who would come because it's Friday night, right? And we would get things set up, but we didn't get it all set up, and we still had something else to do on Sunday. But the thing that we noticed the most is we lost our sense of community. It was weird. And those of you who are here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so in week number three, we said, no, we're not doing this anymore. We're going back to Sunday morning. Because people get to know each other when they're serving next to one another, and that keeps people engaged. And I don't want to lose that. It's huge. Because when you're setting up curtains, and you're laughing and joking around, and that kind of a thing, that builds community. That builds the body. That builds the type of church that we really want to see around here. So it keeps us not only healthy to be on a rotation, but it also keeps us engaged in what's going on every single Sunday. This stuff and all the stuff for the kids, that matters. It matters. So um, Dan and I have talked about this together. Dan can't do and I can't do what we do unless there are other people willing to do what they do. That doesn't make one more important than the other. It means that we're a body. Are you with me? I think that's an important piece to remember. And so what I'm really going to ask you to do when we talk about this idea of volunteerism, what I'm really asking you to do is simply be the church. Just be the church. Be the church that would uh, have been helpful to you at some point in your life. Be the church that you really want to see. Be the kind of church that allows God to do the things that only he can do because that's ultimately what we're after here.